everybody, and welcome back to I Just Want to Talk About the Bible. If this is your first time joining us today, then let me just welcome you and say that I am so glad that you're here. My name is Christian Keeter, and I live in the southeast of the United States of America with my amazing, beautiful, godly wife, Lacey, and our two wonderful daughters, Felicity and Serenity. Let me start off by saying something that I believe is true of you. I believe that you want to be a courageous person. I believe that you want to be brave. I think that it's pretty universal that when we see bravery and courage displayed, that something rises up within us that just kind of has this respect. It has this kind of um, this admiration about it. And we long to have that same sort of thing displayed in us, bravery and courage. And on the contrary, I don't believe that you want to live a life that is characterized by acquiescence to fear, by yielding to fear and the byproduct of fear, which is the attempt to control your circumstances. Behind the attempt to control is the, the, the cruel master of fear. And so in our spiritual lives... In our walks with the Lord, I believe that you want the character quality of bravery and courage to be present. And so what we're going to talk about today is going to be touching on this, but perhaps in a way that you might not think, but this is all going to fall under the banner of this one singular question, and that's this, can we trust the Lord? Can we trust God? Can we trust God even when he's not moving at the pace that we would like, or even when he's not doing things exactly the way that we would like? Can we trust him? Or can we, like I said, yield, or will we yield to fear and then try to take matters into our own hands and force whatever to come to pass or what have you? But but you guys want to be brave. You want to be courageous. And you can be. And with the Holy Spirit's help, we can walk in trust. And that trust will lead to things like courage and peace and joy and bravery. And will shield us from things like fear. Like it says in Psalm 56.3, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. So having said that, let's go to the book of Genesis. We are going to be looking at an incident out of the life of Abraham. And it's actually before he is... uh, renamed Abraham. His name is still Abram at this point, but we'll get to that shortly. It's going to be in Genesis chapter 16, and we're not going to do an overview of the entirety of Abraham's life uh, from start to finish. There's a lot of content in there, but I do just want to set the stage a little bit by talking about a couple of the incidents that happen leading up to this time in Genesis chapter 16 that will help illuminate things a little bit for us as we talk. So in Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. 
And so I'll stop there. Um, and so that was Genesis 12, uh, verses 1 through part of verse 5. So we're, there's a lot of details we could discuss here, a lot of things that we could talk about, but there's only a few things that we're going to focus in on just for the sake of our conversation today. And if I were to go down all these other paths, it would end up just taking a long time and convoluting matters quite a bit, I think, because there's something just very simple that we're going to be looking at today. So just a couple of details relevant to our conversation is that the Lord called Abram to leave his land and go down to the land of Canaan. Canaan is what we ultimately um, come to know as the promised land. And uh, later on, uh, centuries down the line, it's going to be where uh, the the Hebrew people settle. Remember, Joshua leads them after Moses and they, they conquer the promised land, the land of Canaan. But for now, God has called Abram to go down there and we have... Uh, this part of God's promise here, part of what he says is that he will make of him a great nation. And so that's going to, of course, require descendants, right? Uh, if you're going to, if you're going to become a great nation, that's going to require many and many descendants. Uh, so we see that Abram goes and, uh, one of the people that goes with him is his wife, whose name is Sarai. Now, we are also given Abram's age at this point. It says in verse 4, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So Abram is 75. And we learn from the story later on that Sarai is 10 years younger than him. So Sarai is 65 here. So this, let's just kind of keep some of this stuff in mind and let's flip ahead a few chapters now that we have laid that sort of groundwork. So we're going to jump ahead to 15, chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. It says this, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. That was Genesis 15, verses 1 through 6. And so we will stop here. Just stop that. Again, the, there's so much more that happens in this passage. But just for the sake of our conversation, we learn now that you know Abram and Sarai are childless. They haven't been able to conceive. And uh, when Abram came into the land, uh, he was already 75. Sarai was already 65. And there is this this other person, Eliezer of Damascus, that is going to end up uh, being Abram's heir. But the Lord says, no, 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 your, your, your very own son will be your heir. And so then he tells him to go out and look up at the stars of the sky. He says, can you number them? Can you number them? Because that's what is that's what your offsprings your offspring are going to be like. They're going to be more than the the stars in the sky, right? There's just going to be there's they're going to be innumerable. Is the point? Like he said, he'll make a great nation of him. And so we have this word from the Lord saying that you know your own son is going to be your heir, and he doesn't have a son yet. And so here we have. Uh, here we have a problem, do we not? The problem is, okay, he's going to become a great nation, but he doesn't have any children, and he and Sarah have not been able to conceive. So what's going to happen next? He has this word from the, from the Lord, this promise from God. So now let's move into um, verse or chapter 16, 
and this is going to be where we spend a bit of time. So beginning in Genesis 16, verse 1, it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And that was the first verse. And so, you know, he has been promised by God to uh, become a great nation and that he will have descendants as numerous as the stars of the sky. And yet he and Sarah are unable to conceive. And so from their perspective, from their perspective, this is a problem. It's like, well, how is this going to come to pass? And so there is the mention of this servant named Hagar. In Genesis chapter 12, Abram and Sarai took a detour down to Egypt. It's not one of Abram's finer moments, but it is possible that during this time, this is when Hagar came into the picture, that she was acquired as a servant. And so regardless of when she came into the picture, we just know that Abram, I'm sorry, Sarai has this, this female servant named Hagar. So resuming in verse 2, Genesis um, Genesis 16, it says, And Sarai said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. And pause there for a second. She says, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. And you can almost feel the anger, the bitterness, and the hurt in her words. Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. And so let's see what she suggests as a solution. Continuing in verse 2, and just, just following, I'll read through a few more verses. It says, Go in to my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And so we'll we'll pause there for just one second. So what's happened here? Sarai says, I'm not able to conceive. And she... um, she puts it on the Lord, actually, is the way that Sarai frames it. She says, basically says, since God has prevented me from being able to have children, here, take my servant Hagar and sleep with her, and she can conceive, and then will bear you a child, bear you a son. And so that is, that's her plan. And uh, really quickly, just something I want to point out, because, you know, we hear that, and we're like, what the heck? Like, what in the world? And just uh, and just to explain very very briefly something, uh, evidently, evidently what's being described here, like where it says in verse three, um, it says that Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. What's being described here was evidently not that uncommon of a practice uh, in this culture at this time. But let me just say something clearly, both about that culture at that time and our culture at this time. Just because something is a culturally accepted practice does not make it good or right. So let me just repeat that. Just and again, think not only of this passage here that we're talking about with what happened with Abraham, um, Abram and Sarai and Hagar, but also just our own culture. Just because something is a culturally accepted, approved of, endorsed, and perhaps even celebrated practice does not mean that it's right in the eyes of God. That doesn't mean that it's right morally or ethically or anything like that. In fact, let me read you... Um, let me read you a quote from a resource. Um, the resource is called Free Bible Commentary. It's a free online Bible commentary. And it's from, well, 
freebiblecommentary.org. I share that with you just as a resource in case you ever want to use it. And by doing that, I'm not necessarily, as I've said before, endorsing everything that this commentator says, but I have indeed found it to be a helpful resource. So this is a quote. It says, and I quote, the monogamy ideal of original creation is lost, surprisingly in an attempt to help God. Unquote. And the word help is, of course, in quotes. And so he, he's referring specifically to this passage. And so what is he saying? He's like, when we look at the Genesis, the Garden of Eden ideal, the beginning of Genesis, what do we see? We see one man with one woman. That's the ideal. Polygamy is not the ideal. Like what Abram and Sarai are doing is stepping in the direction away from the Garden of Eden ideal. And not surprisingly, it leads to all sorts of of relational destruction, which, I mean, duh. I mean, if you imagine this circumstance, of course it's going to lead to crazy relational um, destruction. Polygamy was not part of God's original design. And the deviation away from that design, however culturally acceptable it may have been, led to harm and destruction. And so, you know, likewise, we have to answer, or ask ourselves the question, and this is a different conversation entirely, but I just kind of present it to you for your own consideration. What are the things in our cultures today that might be acceptable, might be even approved of and celebrated that are actually deviations away from God's design? It's a, it's a worthy consideration. And as you perhaps consider history, things like slavery and so on, you can see how there have been things that have been culturally acceptable that were horrible departures from God's design. So, you know, just a consideration, just a thought, to food for thought to consider. Um, what are the things kind of in our, in our own culture? But like I said, that's a different uh, conversation entirely. So uh, returning to Genesis 16 here, uh, let me let me read the quote just one more time and then move forward. So once more, the quote is, the monogamy ideal of original creation is lost surprisingly in an attempt to, quote, help God. And so what are they saying? What is this commentator saying? This commentator is pointing out how Abram and Sarai, they have this word from God, that Abram is going to have descendants as numerous as the stars. And so what do they try to do? Well, they don't see things happening in their timing, at their speed, or in the way that they should necessarily like. And so they decide to give God a hand. They decide to take matters into their own hands and try to bring about the plan of God in some way that makes sense to them and by the power of the flesh. And this isn't, this is not going to go well. So resuming in the passage, let's pick back up in verse four. It says uh, they've made their plan and all this stuff. Abram's agreed to it. And it says, resuming in verse 4, and he went into Hagar and she conceived. And that's just the first part of verse 4, but let's just pause. So Sarai and Abram's plan seems to have worked. What they were hoping to happen did indeed happen. However, that doesn't mean that things are going to end well or that this was God's will. Just because something, quote, worked in some sort of circumstance does not mean that it was right or that it was God's will or that it's going to end well. And actually, before verse 4 even ends, we already see problems. So pick back up in verse 4. I'll back up to the beginning of it. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. 
Continuing, it says, And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. But Abram said to Sarai, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarai dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. So just a few verses after this, their plan worked. Hagar conceived, and then Hagar began to, to use the, the word of the passage, look with contempt on her mistress. And uh, in, in Hebrew, it, it evidently literally says, according to the footnote that I'm reading here, her mistress was dishonorable in her eyes. And so, I mean, just from a surface level reading, it seems like Hagar conceived, Sarai couldn't. And I mean, there, there, there may have been some sort of superiority thing kind of creeping in, but the point is that there is just big relational problems brewing. And then Abram just, I mean, Abram's been quite passive in this whole account. I mean, Sarai says this to him and Abram's like, okay. And then, you know, Sarai gets upset about this and Abram's like, do whatever you want to her. He says, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. And so Abram's just kind of, physically there, but that's kind of just about it in this account. And it says that Sarai dealt harshly with her and then Hagar fled and she fled from her. And so we see things are already unraveling. They're already falling apart. Things, this is not good. And so let's, let's continue on. This is a, you know, I, I want to include the remainder of chapter 16, although it's a little bit of a parentheses of of sorts. Um, However, it's just too good to skip over. So resuming in verse 7, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness and the, um, the spring on the way to shore. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are pregnant and shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are a God of seeing. For she said, Truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore the well was called... Be'er Lahai Roi. That's my best attempt. Be'er Lahai Roi. It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. And so that's the entirety of the remainder of chapter 16. And why do I include that deep, like, in, in, include all that? Culturally speaking, Hagar would have been marginalized. She's an Egyptian servant. She's fleeing from his her mistress. I mean, just like, again, from a cultural perspective, she would have been marginalized, but not in God's eyes. God saw her. Listen, re, let me reread verse 13. So she called the name of the Lord who saw her. You are a God of seeing, or in, in Hebrew, El Roi. El Roi, and I love the name of God, El Roi. And part of the reason why I love it is what she says next. It says, for she said, truly here, I have seen him who looks after me. Truly here, I have seen him who looks after me. What a wonderful truth 
God looks after me. God looks after you. He sees. He sees. So, just very beautiful. God appears to this oppressed, fleeing, pregnant Egyptian servant and uh, comforts her. And, uh, and just it's really a very beautiful, very beautiful encounter. So, just a couple more details that I want to pull out of this. Just let's keep things chronological here. So Abram went into the land when he was 75. Back in Genesis 16 in verse, let's see, what is it, 3? Yeah. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, this whole thing unfolds. And so by the time that Ishmael is born, it says in verse 16, Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. So at that point, after she had gone through the entire pregnancy and given birth, he had been in the land 11 years. And so after being in the land 10 years, still having no son, this is when um, Sarai and Abram uh, execute this plan. So that's, I mean, that's a lot of time. 10 years is a lot of time. And they're waiting for the Lord to bring this about. And Abram is 85 and Sarai is 75 at this time. And so, but they're not seeing any progress. And like I said, you can always hear the pain in Sarai's voice. And as we'll come to see, Abram and Sarai simply became impatient. But let's go on to Genesis 17. Let's continue moving through this. Genesis 17, start reading in verse 1. It says, when Abram was 99 years old. Okay, so now we're jumping ahead 13 more years. So this means he's been in the land 24 years at this point. So this is when Abram's 99 years old, which would make Ishmael 13. So it says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to, and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And we'll just, we'll stop there. I mean, it, it, the Lord does, he keeps talking. He, uh, there's more that the Lord says uh, in this passage. Um, but I just want to point out that right there is where his name is changed from Abram to Abraham. Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of a multitude. And so isn't that incredible? God changed Abram's name to Abraham, and the name Abraham reflects what God was going to do through him. The name that he gave him reflects what God was going to accomplish through him. It's a thing of like almost identity, right? And so then later on in this passage is where Abram's given um, the covenant of circumcision. And so this is that's later in uh, 17, like verses 9 through 14. But I want to hop down to Genesis 17, 15 and listen to this. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And so let's, let's pause. I want to continue reading, but I want to point something out here. So both Abram and Sarai get, get new names. So I'm basing what I'm saying off of the footnote footnotes in the ESV Bible. Like I said, Abram means exalted father and Abraham means father of a multitude. And so we're like, okay, well, God changed her name from Sarai to Sarah. So what, what do those names mean? Right? Well, get this. This is so fascinating, but I think super beautiful. Sarai and Sarah have the same meaning. And you know what they mean? 
They mean princess. They mean princess. And you might be tempted to think, oh, you know, that's nice. That's that's nice. And it well, yeah, great. But but what what's the significance of it? You let me ask you this question. If her name already meant princess, then why did God change her name to princess? Right? Like why was that necessary? Listen, her name, her just her natural name that was given her was princess. But then God called her princess. God says, this is the name that I'm giving you. You are princess. Why is this significant? This comes, I mean, I mean, chronologically, this is 13 years after, 13 to 14 years after uh, the previous chapter. But as we're reading through our Bible, this comes like right on the heels of chapter 16, which is this awful plan that she and Abram executed together. And so it's just Genesis 16 is not a shining moment in the life of Abram or Sarai. It's just, it's, it's not, it's not a good, it's not a good moment. And yet, nevertheless, despite that, we see God reaffirming his covenant with Abram and calling Sarah princess. Isn't the grace of God an amazing thing? And so this is just what I want to say to you, anybody who's listening right now. If you've messed up, you're not too far gone. We do not understand the magnitude and just incredible nature of the grace of God. We just don't understand how far reaching it is. But you're not too far gone. And God is still extending his grace to you. If you still have breath in your lungs, then you're not too far gone. And just like in the parable of the prodigal son, the Lord stands, arms open, waiting for you to come. Sarah's mistakes had not undermined the plan of God. Princess is, of course, a term of nobility. And she was still going to be the matriarch of the Hebrew people. So, coming back down to Genesis 17, um, talking about Sarai, resuming in verse 16, um, God says, I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. So we see that the child of promise was to come not through an Egyptian slave, through some culturally acceptable but yet awful sort of practice, right? It was to come through Abram's wife, Sarah. Then verse 17 goes on to say, Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And so you know, Abram's, you know, it says he, he laughed and said this to himself. He's like, is this possible? Is she going to bear a child? Uh, uh, is she Can she bear a son? He's, he says, we're basically, in essence, we're so old. We can't have children. Continuing in verse 18, And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Which, by the way, just me cutting in, Isaac means he laughs. Which Abraham just did. So continuing in verse uh, 19, I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. 
Behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. So we'll stop there. That was through verse 21 of Genesis 17. And just again, the grace of God. Ishmael was not the child of promise. This, I mean, the, the, the way this was going to happen was Abraham and Sarah were going to have a son. And so this thing with, with Hagar was a deviation away from that. And yet, what do we see? We see that God saying, I'm, I'm, I've blessed Ishmael. I've blessed Ishmael. I've blessed him. And, uh, and Ishmael is going to multiply greatly. Uh, his, the, 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 the child of promise is going to be Isaac and the covenant is going to, uh, continue on through his lineage. Nevertheless, it's, um, again, we just see the, the, the grace of God here. And, um, so let's just pause. So here we are finally at this moment, 99 years old, Sarah is 89 and God says this time next year, you're going to have a son this time next year. You will have a son. And so let's flip ahead just really quickly to Genesis 21. Again, we're hopping over a lot, but we're just looking at one specific thing. There's a beginning of verse one of Genesis 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. Just stop there. God kept his promise. It did not happen necessarily in the timing that Abraham and Sarah would have liked. It did not necessarily happen in the way that they thought it would, especially when they went off the rails and hatched their own sort of plan. But God kept his promise. And all they needed to do was trust him. Trust him and wait. Believe him. So verse 2, And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him, Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And so that's, uh, that's verses one through seven of Genesis 21. And so we see the son whose name is, he laughs, brings this laughter. We see, um, just God fulfilling his promise, keeping his word. Now there's a detail I want to point out from the book of Hebrews really quickly. In Hebrews chapter 11, there is a little bit of a commentary, um, on, uh, on this. So let's see here, beginning in Hebrews chapter 11, I'll just start in verse eight. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with, with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Now pay close attention here. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, 
were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So that was Hebrews 11, 8 through 12. Why do I read this passage? I read it because of the description of Sarah and Abraham, because there's something I want to draw out. It says that Sarah received power to conceive. It says, even when she was past the age. And then in verse 12, it gets even stronger. It says, therefore, from one man, talking about Abraham, therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven. And of course, this is what we're describing here is the miraculous birth of the Hebrew people. That's, that's and Abraham, the father of the Hebrew people. But I mean, it says, it talks about how old they are here. I mean, so Sarah was 90. It says she was past the age. And then Abram, Abraham, excuse me, who was a hundred, it describes him as being as good as dead. So, I mean, they are not young. <laughs> like uh, that's some pretty strong language. And so why am I pointing this out? This is what I want to point out. When Abraham was 85, he still conceived just naturally. Did he not? Not through Sarah. Because Sarah was barren, right? But but through Hagar, and so there were like he was still able to naturally conceive, and so at this point, ninety nine years old, it's you know he's the Bible describes him as good as dead. I mean, both of them are pat this beyond the point of no return. Even just not even taking into consideration the fact that Sarah was barren, they're past the point of no return, and then, and then do they conceive? Why? Why is that significant? Do I do I pretend to have a full explanation on why God waited exactly 25 years and so on and so forth? I mean, I, I don't know all of that, but I do know this. This is what I do know. I do know that only God could receive the glory for this. I do know that it was physically impossible for them, whereas 15 years prior, or a little bit more like uh, 13 years prior, it was still physically possible for Abram, Abraham. But now God gets the glory. He did it in a way where he received all the praise because naturally there is no way it could have happened. So he received the credit. He received the glory. And so the, the account goes on and we could talk more about it. There is, um, more stuff that happens between Hagar and Ishmael um, when they are driven out again and uh, and this time they don't return. That happens later in Genesis 21. And uh, of course we get to the things like the sacrifice of Isaac and God giving him back to Abram, Abraham. Um, I keep saying, mixing up the name, sorry. But, but my point is for the sake of our conversation, I just want to talk about this whole thing with Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac and Ishmael. And so was it God's will for Abram to have a son? Yes, it was. God expressly stated that. Was it God's God's will for that to come through Hagar? No, the child of promise was to come through Sarah, right? And was it God's will for that to happen when Abraham was 85, well, no, it was God's will to happen when he was 99 for the conception to happen. Andy Stanley in a sermon made a really good statement that I want to put here and I want to give him credit. He uses this phrase, God's will, God's way, and in God's timing. 
each of those three is significant. God's will, God's way, and in God's timing. Was it God's will that Abraham have a son? Yes. It was also God's will that Sarah have a son, but, but let's just, for the sake of illustration, stick with the point here. Um, was it God's will for Abram to have a son? Yes. That was God's will. Was it God's way for it to come through Hagar? No, God's way was going to be through Sarai slash Sarah. Was it God's timing to happen when Abraham was 85 and Sarah was 75? No, it was to be when they were 99 and 89, respectively. So we see all of those are mad, are important. And any time that we break away from those, we begin to take matters into our own hands and we actually do something similar to what Abram and Sarai did with Hagar. When we become impatient with God or we don't trust him, we are becoming dangerously close to, to stick with the illustration to birthing an Ishmael instead of an Isaac. Now, I mean, again, we see redemption with Ishmael. We see that God's grace extends there. We see his, his blessing and his protection over Hagar and Ishmael and all of that. And I want to acknowledge that. But my point is, and you can probably think of these things where it's just like, okay, was there a time where I grew impatient with God? Or I thought that he just needed my help in a certain way where I took matters into my own hands because I didn't want to wait on the Lord. We do the same thing when we don't wait on his timing. So instead of just giving a bunch of examples, I just would rather create space for the spirit of God to speak directly to your heart right now. And so I encourage you to pray right now. These words, just a simple prayer or just the, the idea behind these words, but to simply, regardless of what you're doing, to simply say, Lord, what does it look like right now in my life for me, to, for me to trust you and trust your timing? Because listen, you know, everybody has situations and circumstances where we would like to see the Lord work. We absolutely do. And, uh, you know, a lot of times the temptation can be to try to take control of the circumstance. And so the simple prayer is, Lord, is there any way that I am moving in the direction of birthing an Ishmael instead of just trusting you. And so just ask the Lord, God, where am I, where am I not trusting you? And what does it look like for me to trust you in that circumstance? And so I want to pause right now. I want to give you that time to pray that simple prayer. The scriptures clearly state in James 1, 5, and 6 that God will give wisdom to those who ask and believe. And what you're doing right now is you're asking for wisdom. And so it may very well be that what it looks like for you to trust is just to wait for the Lord, just to continue doing the things that he's shown you right now and just wait. And, uh, but again, I'm not going to make big sweeping statements about what, and that's what it would have looked like for Abraham and Sarah. Just wait for the Lord. He's made a promise. He's going to bring it to pass. Just continue to trust his faithfulness. But what it looks like to trust the Lord and it varies from circumstance to circumstance. And so I'm not going to make big sweeping statements. And I just want to say, talk to other believers in your life, other godly people whose counsel that you, um, that you trust 
and ask him as well their opinion. What does it look like in your opinion for me to trust the Lord in this circumstance and involve the Lord in every step of the process, asking him for wisdom and asking him if what that person said to you is true. But the scriptures make it clear that a wise man listens to advice. And so I would just encourage you to do that and to just continue to have the sort of posture of I want to trust the Lord because this is looping all the way back to the beginning here. And that's this. Trusting the Lord is the is is the most courageous thing we could do because it's taking our hands off and saying, Lord, I am not gonna try to control. I am not gonna try to control my circumstances. I want to do things your way and I want to do it I want your will and your way and your timing, as Andy Stanley would put it, and just not trying to mess with any one of those three things. It's like I want his way, his will, and in the time that he wants to accomplish it. And I can wait for the Lord, be strong and let my heart take courage. Wait for the Lord, as Psalm twenty seven fourteen says. And so um, God's will is perfect, and he does have a good will for your life. And just because things aren't moving at the pace that we would like doesn't mean that he stopped working. Honestly, it may very well just reveal that he's doing more character work and he's organizing things in such a way as he was with Abram and Sarai, where he is going to get the glory and he alone can get the credit because it'll be just so amazing and you will have quite the testimony. But fight the urge to take control. Just trust him. And again, I want to be specific about what that looks like in your circumstance, but I can't because circumstances are so varied and you need to bring other people in and just ask the Lord to show you what that looks like. We're talking about being led by the Spirit right now. But let me, um, let me, let me close this in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you so much for all the dear souls that are hearing this right now, Lord. I know that they are so precious to you. And Lord, I pray for all of them and myself Lord, that you would show us what it looks like in our specific situations to trust you, especially, Father, in the areas where we'd like to see some sort of change or movement, and we haven't necessarily seen that. Lord, show us what it looks like to trust you. Help us to be brave, Lord. Give us courage. Father, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, thank you guys so much for listening. I just want to give uh, you guys one quick cool update. Um that will hopefully be uh, encouraging to those of you who have given to this ministry. Um, because of the Lord's provision through your generosity, uh, we were able to do something really, really cool. just want to tell you about it really quickly and keep you guys in the loop for this sort of stuff. So there is a uh, church in Nairobi, Kenya. Nairobi is the capital of Kenya. And I know this pastor. In fact, I'm going to be talking to him in a little bit over two hours from the time of recording this podcast. We we generally talk um, about once a week, and, and he's connected to the other ministry I'm on staff with, Mentoring Men for the Master. But um, what the situation is his church doesn't have bathrooms. And while at first you might just think, well, that's just really inconvenient and unpleasant, the issue is this. Because it doesn't have bathrooms, on Sundays people will leave and go home or go somewhere to go to the bathroom, and then they just won't come back to church, and they'll, they'll miss um, part of the services. And so... This is not just a function of convenience and comfort. This is a function of people hearing the word of God taught. And so what we did was uh, we funded the building of that bathroom. And uh, and it was it's such a joy and such an excitement to be able to do so. And of course, God gets all the credit because he's, he's the one who supplies. But he did it through you guys. And I just want you to know that if you've given to this ministry, you're a part of that. You're a part of supplying bathrooms at a church so people don't leave and not come back during Sunday, during the Sunday services. It's a wonderful thing. 
And so um, I'm excited. Um, I'm just really, really excited to be a part of that as well. And so I just wanted to thank all of you. And so on that note, I just want to talk about the Bible is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, which means that any and all gifts given are indeed tax deductible. So if you feel so led to give instructions on how to do so can be found in the footer of every podcast episode. So again, thank you so much. Um, to those of you who have given, as you can see, just from this one simple example, this is one singular example. It's making a difference. So thank you so much. Well, God bless you guys. I hope that you are all doing well. And until next time, take care.